Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Bucks enjoy Victory Monday again. Andrew Adams, known as Double A, well now he's Triple A after his three interceptions, the hat trick. We talked to him about his celebration following that Bucks win last Sunday, and then he's up for Player of the Week against, get this, one of his own family members. We'll tell you about that. The Bucks got a 100-yard receiving performance from Chris Godwin on Sunday. He's done that before. In fact. Most of the time when Deshaun Jackson has been out. But what play did he make that really saved the game? Guess what? It wasn't the TD. We'll tell you about that and why he maybe should be the number two option at the wide receiver the final month. And the Bolts win again in New Jersey 5-1. to one. Louis Domingue. Steve, I saw where he's now started 11 straight games. That's quite a few, but he's still rolling and rolling pretty well. All that and some college football playoff talk as well on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Bursnick. Hey, you want to be a millionaire? Well, for 30 years, Howard and Sue Million have brought the cool comfort of air conditioning to the entire Tampa Bay area, making thousands of residents millionaires with their quality products and service. Millionaire is currently offering 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. Give them a call at 727-862-2100 to take advantage of the great offer. On brand new quality train air conditioning units or to schedule service or maintenance, call 727-862-2100 today. Trust the masters of comfort. Trust Millionaire. Okay, Steve, so uh, another uh, what's becoming almost old hat, Victory Monday at One Buck Place, and uh, I was over there to talk to Dirk Cutter and some others. Haven't had a chance to discuss the game uh, with you and get your view on it, but uh, the big story, uh, really, it was Andrew Adams and sort of this misfit band of defensive backs that they played with it all came up big but Adams stole the show I mean three interceptions which um, has only happened you know three other times in the history of the franchise Ronnie Barber did it twice to keep to leave it's very rare for a player in, in the NFL to get three interceptions uh, so he managed to do this and this is a guy that was with the Giants you know for a couple years and then he was cut at the beginning of the season and, and picked up by the Bucks at the end of September, hadn't really played a whole lot until they lost some linebackers. He's been playing kind of in a, in a dime role, almost as a, as a Mike linebacker on some passing downs. Um, but what a day for him. We had a chance to talk to him again about that game. And uh, I mentioned in the opening, uh, you know, he'll, he'll probably be the NFC player of the week on defense, but if he's not, it's going to be one of his, one of his family members. His, his sister is married to Giants linebacker Alex Ogletree, who had two interceptions, including a one-hander that was spectacular uh, in the Giants' win. So, pretty good day. Five interceptions for the family. Not bad, huh? That's not a bad day. That's a that's pretty good uh, <laughs> pr- pretty good week for that family. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really amazing that you'd have uh, you know two family, two guys you know, through through in-laws, but nonetheless, and his mom and dad come down to the games. They were there. His fiance was there. Um, said they all went out to dinner, some Mexican place that I can't remember, but I'd give them a shameless plug if I could. Um, and uh, and his phone, of course, blew off the hook, which is which is funny. A lot of Giants fans on Twitter are mad that he was given up uh, by the Giants when they see that kind of performance. But 
Um, what just, I think, just what some I really think is funny, just looking at some stats, and, and it really doesn't mean much, but of course the three interceptions leads the team this year because they have, mm-hmm. I think, seven as a team total. But yeah. the three interceptions in one game would have led the Bucks last year in interceptions. They had four guys that had three of them. That's right. Would have been yeah. one behind Grimes and Tandy in 2016. Would have tied yep. Levante David for the team lead in, four, in 15. Mm-hmm. Would have been one behind Jonathan Banks for the team lead in 14. I mean, in one day, he's the last five seasons, he's almost leading the Bucks every year. He is, and, and, I, and that's how rare it is. And I'll tell you something else. You know, for all the people that scream about Derwin James, well, the rookie from San Diego just got his third interception of the year. So there. You didn't need Derwin James. You had Andrew Adams the whole time. So, Although Derwin James is really good. <laughs> no, I know. He's great. He really is great. A tremendous hit bad. on, uh, uh, on um, uh, Antonio Brown on Sunday night mm-hmm. to stop a, a catch late in the game that ended up helping them win. Yeah, I think he's going to the Pro Bowl. I don't know that Vita Vey is, although Vita's playing a little bit better too. As is well, the, that the whole Bucks line. defense is. They really are. I mean, you have to sit there and, and you know, I think it was it was pretty obvious they had to get rid of Mike Smith, and, and maybe they waited too long to do it. <laughs> yeah, they did. But like a year too. Well, long. Uh, yeah, but I'm saying even <laughs> in the season, maybe they should have done it oh, at the bye week. One more instead game, of, yeah, instead of they, giving them sure. an extra game. But that's right. The way the defense is, you know, look, this isn't going to be, you know, number one defense in the NFL the last few weeks, but the way way they've responded, I mean, the way they're getting more pass rush for more guys, the way the secondaries Mm -hmm. respond, I mean, the whole defense is playing a lot better, and they're getting turnovers. They're -hmm. actually getting turnovers. And, and of course, it helps when your offense isn't turning the ball over. That helps your defense, too, and they're keeping the ball longer. Mm -hmm. Um, That complementary football, it's, it's amazing how... You know, if the quarterback cleans up his play and doesn't throw picks and doesn't turn over the ball, how the rest of the team plays better. Look, I, I think a lot of this, the credit goes, you know, to Mark Duffner. And, and, you know, Mike Smith was obviously an issue. I mean, there's no way around this. He had more talent than Duffner has to work with. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he had Quan Alexander. He had Levante David pretty much the whole time for a little bit, a, a brief period of time, Chris Conte. Vernon uh, Hargraves you know, for a while. Vernon Hargraves for a game. Justin Evans has been out the last couple of weeks, went out again on Sunday at halftime with uh, that foot injury. Um, so really, you know, who Duffner's playing with is, is through necessity. They've had to mix and match. And, you know, that's what Adams was doing. I mean, Andrew Adams was a special teams player primarily for the Bucks when they finally signed him uh, at the end of September. But they, they forced him onto the field in sort of when they, you know, they went to six defensive backs essentially – but they would take, you know, with, with especially with Levante injured, they didn't really have a linebacker to stay in there and cover or a second linebacker. So they would bring on their safety, Andrew Adams, to kind of, to play sort of a Mike linebacker in their dime package. And um, and that's that's sort of what he was doing until, you know, they were down to like their fourth, fifth, and sixth safeties. And you had Isaiah Johnson go out with a concussion or something like that, I believe. Um, but he was injured, and so when that happened, it forced Adams to go back and have to play safety in that game. And he said, because I had been playing up up close to the line of scrimmage and kind of, kind of figured out what routes they were running and things, he was able to jump a couple routes and you know, got some deflected balls, and you know the ball just kept finding him sometimes. It was a really weird night. I mean, you almost never see that. It's so unusual. I think there's been one player in the NFL like since 2000, and I don't know, nine or eight or ten or something like that. That's had three in a game. I mean, it's very unusual. So, you know, he just had just one of those nights where, you know, he was in the right place and made the plays. 
but it wasn't by accident. It was, you know, film study and, and everything else. But just, just one, you know, the, the NFL is full of these guys. And it's interesting. The Bucks had Carlton Davis hurt and MJ Stewart hurt. Uh, Brent Grimes was out. So the guys they had been counting on were young players for the most part and then Grimes. And then with all of them out, they had to go to, you know, Devontae Harris. And, I mean, some guys just, just really hadn't played except special teams. But it goes to show you that, you know, there really isn't – there are good – there are better players and then there are, you know, role players in the NFL. But if you think about it, you're not in the NFL if you can't play football. I mean, the, 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 like Dirk Cutter said the other night after the game, I was talking to him about these guys that have kind of persevered and hung in there and, you know, been on practice squads and, you know, like JV and Elliott. I mean, JV and Elliott was cut this year. And that's probably about the fourth or fifth time he's been cut since since he came to the Bucks. But as Dirk said, he goes, "Look, there's thousands of players out there that would take their jobs tomorrow if they could get them. You know that that if you're if you're in the room when they have a meeting, as they do every Wednesday, and you have, you know, your 53 regular roster players and your eight practice squad guys, you got 61 players in that room, and they tell them all, if you're in this room this week, you could end up playing on Sunday, and." They've been fortunate. And one thing I didn't think about that Dirk talked about on Monday was it's getting harder to find guys on the street right now because you have a couple competing uh, football leagues. You know, the I think, what is it, the AAF or something like that. And then you have, you know, the XFL is announcing that they're coming aboard. And so some of these players that have signed with some of these other leagues now aren't supposed to then come back to the NFL. So this time of year... Uh, if you're not on a roster, it probably means that you're not a great player uh, anyway, but it's just hard to find guys that have played, you know, that have been in the league or been in shape or been, been in a camp somewhere else that you can plug in. Uh, and that's why that practice squad and all those guys are so, so valuable. But you, you mentioned the defense and, and, you know, again, I, I think that they credit it sort of to the defensive line being being the drivers of the bus and that's the way it was supposed to be and Jason Pierre-Paul has been that guy that's been real consistent um, they think that because of, of Carl Nassib emerging that when you have bookend defensive ends that teams have to account for whether it's keeping guys in or, or double teaming or whatever that that's creating a lot of opportunities because those guys play so hard you know, they're just – I mean, JPP's beat up as, as any player there is, but he doesn't want to come off the field. Nassib is relentless, and people are playing off of those guys now. Um, and so that's that's sort of been the magic formula up front. But, you know, four sacks in three straight weeks, that's pretty impressive. And if you go back, I think, the last six weeks, I want to say that they're way up there in third down conversions. They're probably second in sacks now um, during that stretch. So – They've completely turned it around, and yet you never get the feeling, uh, and they're certainly much better at home, but you never get the feeling when, when, when you, they line up that they're going to stop the other team necessarily. But they've gotten into this into what football has become, which is can you create turnovers? And the way you do that, and we saw it on Sunday, and John Lynch talked about it on our podcast mm-hmm. when we talked about the spread offenses and things like that. He said the great neutralizer – is what? The pass rush. If you can generate pressure on the quarterback. And they hit Cam Newton. You know, they hit him a lot the way they hit Mullins the week before with San Francisco. And those those hits add up. You know, Cam Newton, I was surprised by this, Steve. You know, he had some bumpy times early in his career, especially as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And this was only the second time in his career he's had a four-interception game. He's been really good with the football. He has. And in the last year or two, he's been even better. Um, yeah. You know, and that's what, you know, it was kind of surprising for him to throw four picks in that game. Oh, yeah. And, and then at the end of the day, so he throws four picks and they lose only giving up 24 points if your defense gives up four picks and you fire two defensive coaches. That made sense. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a mess in Carolina. That's so true. It's like, wait a minute. I, I thought the problem was the, there was the turnovers. Didn't, no, no, it's they, the they got a handful of sacks, too. The defensive line coach was fired. Mm-hmm. Um, you and know, now granted, Hope. you know these aren't in a vacuum, and it's not like it was they were fired because of one game's output. But no, but I did think it was funny no. that they fired two defensive coaches after the defenses and what cost them that game. Right, exactly right. And you know, Ron Rivera was asked probably for the first time in a very long time early in his career. You know, they they weren't sure Ron was going to make it there. Not sure he's going to uh, make it, it this year. And and now now he's back in that situation because they have a new owner, and new mm-hmm. owners like to hire their own guys. But they asked Rivera after the game, are you worried about your job security? And he snapped at the guy. He goes, no, I'm not, and don't ever ask me that question again. <laughs> it's like, what? what, what? I got news for you. Of it's going to get asked again. <laughs> of course. Like, wait a minute. You don't have to answer it. Like, you can refuse to answer it 25 times, but you might get asked it 25 times because now you don't. I know you don't like the question, and who does? But that's not necessarily the way you want to snap a guy's head off and answer it. By the way, most reporters don't like asking that question, but you have to. No, they hate it. They hate it. And and most, uh, you know, the other thing is, is that he took over the defensive play calling in that game, and it wasn't very good. I mean, they weren't able to to really stop the Bucks enough to get the ball back. Of course, I said this. Uh, I think I said it to Tom uh, on the podcast yesterday. If you were to change jerseys with, with the Bucks in, in Carolina, that's every game I've watched the Bucks play this year. With the exception of, you know, oh, there even was a little bit of a comeback. But for the most part, you know, the Bucks would move the ball up and down the field, as Carolina did. Mm-hmm. Had over 400 yards of offense, as Carolina did. Got within the 20 or inside the 20, and then turned the ball over. And they did it time after time after time. And they and they give up, you know, they come back and they get just close enough. And then, boom, you know, they, they give up another turnover. So that's that's what... You know that's what the Bucks have done in so many so many games this season um, that it looked like a page. But here's Carolina. That I mean, it's really amazing. They were six and two. I remember thinking after they beat the Bucks and they looked so good doing it. And of course, everybody did back then, right? Um, but they had all the you know, North Turner was dialing up you know the jet sweeps and the you know bubble screens and 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 you know the read options and they were just, just they were there was movement all over the field and they were gashing the Bucks and. As Joe McCoy said after the game, he said, you know, they wore all black. And when they wear all black, you know they're looking to embarrass you. And he goes, I thought I felt like they were trying to. They were up 34-7 to at one point in that game and 34-14 at halftime. So, you know, w- with all of that, um, they were a hot team. I mean, I, I was thinking 6-2, and two, they, were, they were right there with New Orleans, close to the division lead, if not leading it. And I thought, for all the world, you're going to see those, at least New Orleans and Carolina, make the playoffs. Now they've lost four in a row. It's astounding. And they're one in five on the road. And they've, they've lost in some horrific fashion. I mean, the, the place kicking got them a couple games. You know, in Detroit, Rivera had missed a, an extra point or two. And, he, and, he, and at the end of the game, um, he went for two and didn't get it and lost the game. Uh, and, and then, you know, they missed a field goal that should have won the game, you know, last week against Seattle, and Seattle then goes down the field and gets a last-second field goal and wins. You know, 
it, it's they've been really close in these last four weeks, but they just can't get over the hump. But man, to see them to see a season turn like that is really rare when you get out to a six and two start and then lose four in a row. I remember John Gruden was nine and three and lost four in a row, and that was that was shocking enough. But well, I remember um, the talk was okay. The four best teams were New England, Kansas City, New Orleans, yep. and and the Rams. Mm-hmm. It was consensus those the top four. But every the question was. Is Carolina should Carolina be in the top four? That mm-hmm. that was a question that was being asked when they were six and two. Yeah, and now they're they were, you know they're they're six and six and Seattle and Minnesota and if Washington wins tonight they're going to be ahead of them in the wild card race. That's right, that's right, and you know and and it, and I remember talking to uh, Rich McKay and others before the season and, and it was all about man Carolina's defense. Carolina's defense is so good. It's so good. Like, that's no joke up there. Those guys can really play defense. And, you know, of late, they've given up They've given up a lot of points, and that's why Ron Rivera's taken over on that side of the ball. So you could have a situation. And, oh, by the way, the Bucks are out of the cellar. What does yes. that feel like for them? They've been in the cellar for so long, it's unbelievable. And so they're out now, and Atlanta's in there at 4-8. and eight, And I got news for you. Well, we were talking before I- the podcast. And uh, NFC South, everyone going in the season, it's the toughest division in football. Quarterback division. Quarterback division. The coaches are great. Mm -hmm. There may be three coaching changes in this division. I totally agree with you. I I think that Rivera is in big trouble because of the ownership situation and the fact that they blew this season at 6-2 and and could end up outside looking into the playoffs. Um, Atlanta, I mean, Dan Quinn – Look out, man. Look out below. I know you had injuries, bud. No one cares. You know, you, you, you were at the Super Bowl two years ago, and now you're in the cellar at four and eight. I mean, there's just no way that anybody could have saw that coming. I mean, I, I didn't see that coming. Even with Count O'Neill and other guys missing, um, that's a horrific record for them. Um, and, you know, a new stadium to boot and all those things. And, of course, we know Dirk Cutter's situation. I mean, and you hey, know. if Drew Brees and Sean Payton win the Super Bowl, could both of them walk away and be four coaching changes? <laughs> yeah, has there ever been that way? I'm sure there probably has been a whole division that just got rid of every coach. But the talent pool will be deep for the next the next round of guys. This could be one of those years, though. Like it feels to me like it's shaping up to be a year where there's a lot of changes. You know, every every other every odd year or so, you get like between like sometimes seven, eight, maybe as many as nine coaches. Well, and the, the thing NFL is, they're saying far. this is not a very deep class of candidates for coaching. Mm-mm. Like, there's not those, there's not the home run coordinators that people think are going to be great coaches. You know, it, it's, right. You know, that's why Mike McCarthy is now, you know, name number one. Five. And if John Harbaugh's let go, he's going to be number two. And mm-hmm. that there's yeah, not a those, lot of former head coaches. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, there's not a lot of up and comers that people think are ready for that that spot yet. Yeah. What do you think of McCarthy getting fired? By the way, now that we're on the subject, I think they did in him the a middle favor. Of the, after they lost to Arizona. They did him a favor. I, everyone's ripping the Packers for for firing him now, but look, I mean, the, the decision was made. He wasn't going to be back. You just had a, you know, quite frankly, for your franchise, an embarrassing loss to the Cardinals at home. Mm-hmm. That you know, I wouldn't want to stand up there for four more weeks answering questions. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, you and I were talking, too. We, we didn't see the game, so I don't know if the players were making business decisions and not playing. But They may have seen that. I don't know that, and, and it's probably unfair for me to speculate, but that does happen. You know, I'll say this. If, 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 if and when the Tampa Bay Times decides they don't want me to work for them anymore, 
I hope I want them to tell me right away. You mm-hmm. know, I I mean, you don't want to work for somebody who's made a decision to move on from you. And so from that standpoint, I agree. He's now mm-hmm. the number one candidate because he's, you know, got a Super Bowl ring and he's been to six playoffs in nine years and all that. Um, so why not? And so now he can he is free to talk. You know, some of these other teams, especially the assistants mm-hmm. that are on teams that are going into the postseason, have a very small window where they're even available. Yep. You know, he can and, talk, and, so, and, and the Packers can start evaluating coaches and talking to coaches now too. That's the other thing, including yeah. and, college and coaches whose seasons just that ended. exactly. That's why that's important because the college coaches have a very small window, and their their firing season is is already begun. You know, there's guys being hired and fired every day now because we're in the bowl season. So you'll see that. But like, if you want a college coach, you need to have that job cleared right about now. Uh, if you want, if you want to interview anybody, because they're not going to wait around until February. Well, for you're the gonna, most you're going to have to wait for Lincoln Riley, though. You are going to have to wait for him, and that's probably a good thing because I would think he'd be like one of the number one candidates, you know, as far as college football goes. Yeah, um, but you can talk to Urban now. You, <laughs> you can or talk Jim Harbaugh. To Herb. Well, I mean, they got one more game to coach. Don't yeah, they? but but I mean, they're not in the they're not in the championship. So if if they're going to leave, they could. I mean, you have to permission, and I don't know how their contracts are worded. But, I mean, mm-hmm. look, at the end of the day, is the Rose Bowl, is that going to stop Urban Meyer from talking to a, a pro team? If, no, if that's I the job think. he wants to take, same with Jim Harbaugh, or you name the yeah. coach. But if you're if you're fighting for the championship, it's, it's slightly different. You're probably not going to entertain those conversations until after you're eliminated. or you Well, or if you have any inclination that you're going to stay where you're at. I, I, it's really hard for college coaches because – the minute that your name is in the newspaper or on, or in this case online, uh, for you under fifty-five years old, um, if if your name's out there being linked to a to a wish list, even you know what I'm saying, and you're a college coach, let's say it's Jim Harbaugh, who the Packers supposedly school... the the folks up there apparently love him, right? But do you know how many phone calls from other Big Ten schools his recruits are getting every time his name is linked to an NFL job. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all that happens. And, and and the thing is, just like with Chip Kelly, who was going to take this job, I remember it as plain as yesterday. He was two days from college football signing day. Two days. And when the word leaked out at 1130 at night, I wrote a story, and I remember Mark Dominic plain as day saying, Rick, we're working towards a contract. I think we're going to have a deal, but you never – these college coaches, it's funny. You know what I mean? They don't, they, they don't have a lot of time to make up their minds because as soon as that got out, every one of his recruits that he had lined up and worked to, to get started getting phone calls and people telling him Chip Kelly wasn't going to coach at Oregon. And so he made a decision at 5.30 in the morning Eastern and announced he was staying. And the irony is, is that a year later he went to Philadelphia and won 10 games two years in a row. Um, but then he wore out his welcome there because he had some weird ideas, and now he's at UCLA. But it's really hard with college coaches. You know, it just it just really is. I mean, Shiano, you know, nobody knew he interviewed for the Rams job. That sort of led him from the Rams interview to to interviewing with the Bucks. Now, it's Rutgers. Okay, let's not get carried away. You know, I don't know how many five-star recruits he was in jeopardy of losing. But nonetheless, you know, you're right. I mean, the, you know, Green Bay can talk to anybody they want to right now, including college coaches. And they have everyone calling them. And they have everyone calling them. You don't even have to be the one making the calls. I mean, you have your wish list and you're talking to those guys, but 
You know, no right. one, no one's trying to, you know, well, hey, um, hey, this is so and so, and I'd be interested if you have an opening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. No, it's it's out there, and you and you want it out there. You know, like you're. That's mm-hmm. one of the motivations for a team to do that. Now, the downside is, and this is not this is unavoidable. How many of those coaches in Green Bay, if they haven't already, they're certainly doing it by now, worrying about finding their next job and won't be doing a very good job for the last month. Well, that's just human nature. Well, but they've kind of known for a while. Yeah. Well, I mean, look. I mean, the thing is, is, is what I take away from it is, look, the organization decided. I, my guess is it wasn't after the game Sunday. It was weeks ago. We're going to make a change. And then when it gets to the point where you lose to the Cardinals at home, and the team, you know, I, like I said, I didn't see the game, so I can't tell you that either players weren't responding or mailing it in. But if you get to that point, you've got to make a change. And mm-hmm. so, especially if you've already made the decision, and yes. Your coaches are, aren't going to be necessarily keeping two eyes on what's on the field, but they're still going to be judged by that by potential employers. So while, yes, they're looking for other work and whatever else, you know, if all of a sudden your your position or your, your unit goes completely south for the next four games, what's that going to be? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I'm going to say about you as a coach, and there's circumstances around it, but... So, you know, it makes it harder on those coaches, but it also makes it easier because they can start sending out stuff now and talking to other coaches about, hey, if you're looking for a special teams guy, defensive coordinator, linebackers coach, receivers coach. That's that's such a great point because the real advantage, I always said, I thought, was to to fire your coach early. Um, And not necessarily during the regular season, but but just get it out there that he's, you know, Mm -hmm. not going to coach, is because those staffs are being formed. And so much of a head coach's success, look at the Bucks. Yep. Look at their defensive coordinator choices. Um, you know, not all their position coaches, I think, are the greatest in the NFL. But the sooner you can form a staff before these guys go to other staffs, because I, I can only, you know, you could be my buddy, and I may want to coach with you, right? But until you have that job locked up in Tampa Bay or somewhere else, if I get a phone call from another guy that I can work with and I want to work in the NFL – and he gets to me first. It's like, sorry, man, I can't. I can't wait to see if you get this job. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, or if you get a job. Like, I'd love to work with you. You're my number one choice to be offensive coordinator or whatever it is. Um, but because you know the team you were talking to isn't ready to hire yet, um, I've got. I got to feed my family. I got you know some musical chairs. We're gonna run out of spots here. So that's that's a big part of it too. It really is. You know. And any discussion with Dirk Cutter will be about his staff and, and what he would do. That's how it started with Lovey Smith. You know, they wanted to know what Lovey was going to do on the defensive side of the ball. He told them his idea. They didn't like it. And they wound up firing him and went with Dirk. Mm-hmm. And I also so, think I also think it's why the Glazers last season told Dirk Cutter before the last game, you're back. And it's about the coaches and, and everybody else not having to wonder, worry. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, just to create that, you know, granted – you could have told him a week later and everything would have been 
not that much different, but it's still, it just puts everybody, you know, you kind of know things, your staff knows things, you're, you know, you're not sitting there updating your resume necessarily, although they probably are anyway, just in case, but. Right. No, it was a relief. And I, I think that because of that, they, um, they wanted to end the season on a positive note and they ended up beating New Orleans, you know, which they thought might carry over. It, it I guess it did. They beat New Orleans again to start the next season, but, um, but yeah, no, all, all of that is true. I also think, though, the <laughs> now that we know how this went down, that Gruden had pretty much made it known. In fact, I got the call on the Friday before the last game when I learned that Dirk Cutter, I broke the story that he was coming mm-hmm. back. That very day, uh, I believe that John Gruden was headed to Baltimore to meet with Mark Davis. I think I want to say the Raiders were playing the Ravens. And, and look, in all probability, the Bucks, if they were at, at any on any level, and most reports are that they were, at any level considering rehiring John, one, they found out what kind of money that was being offered by Oakland, and two, that that was the very sort of day or end or weekend um, that he was going to reunite with uh, Mark Davis someplace on the road, and they probably. My guess is they got word that he was going back to, to Oakland and, and, and that it was for $10 million a year. And they said, well, you know what? We like Dirk a lot. And for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And for 10, yeah. No, yeah. Not the least of which was is $100 million. It wasn't just $10 million a year. It was $100 million. So all of that sort of the timing was, was not coincidental um, because these guys, you know, obviously had talked to John or Bob Lamont or somebody about whether or not and these these were the two places that were special to him, Tampa Bay and Oakland. Although it was funny, you know, I mean, I didn't think John had a lot of animus. I mean, he's always kind of kidded about, you know, he started the FFCA and, you know, all this stuff like that. And first question at the Combine, we go to the Combine. That's sort of where the new coaches and everybody first meets. It's the start of the new league year. It's It's kind of refreshing, you know. It's like the winter meetings in baseball. So you go out there, and uh, Gruden's a big attraction because every coach usually talks. Um, and so I'm standing around him. He's standing around. He comes in. He's, you know, eyeballing people and saying hi and, hey, you doing, Rick? Good to see you, man, and all that stuff. And he gets up on the podium, and I forget who asked the question, but I was about to. I had it loaded early because I knew we were going to start talking about Oakland, and I didn't want to talk about Oakland. Um, but somebody asked him early on. They said, hey, John. When did you when did you decide that you didn't want to coach for the Bucks? You know that that Tampa Bay was out of it, and he goes, "Yeah, I made that decision when they fired me." You know what I mean? <laughs> when they fired me, like what? Like this was never a thing. Like it was almost like he had animus toward them. You know, he'd always carried this chip on his shoulder. Like yeah, they fired me. You know, and and that was his whole thing. He's like, I got traded from Oakland. You know, like I that wasn't. You know, they didn't get rid of me. Like they traded me. Um, but they didn't fire me, so therefore, you know, I'm I'm still I'm always a Raider. Um, so it was weird that way. But yeah, who knows? So who he's knows saying that Khalil Mack should not hold any, hold any ill will towards Oakland because they traded him too, right? But I suppose that'd be true. Look, John Gruden, and I don't know how I got on this topic other than I love doing John Gruden. But John Gruden could be executive of the year this year. Stay with me here. It's one thing to get your team in the playoffs. He managed to get division, or division titles for Chicago and perhaps Dallas with the two deals that he made. I mean, Khalil Mack, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he could be defensive player. I don't think he will be, but, I mean, in the NFC, it's, it's going to be tough. Him or Aaron Donald, I would imagine. 
I think Aaron Donald right? will get it at this point. But but yeah, Khalil Max in that conversation, absolutely. Yeah, and then and then you know Amari Cooper to Dallas. I mean, you know, geez, I mean that completely turned their offense around. They haven't. I don't think they've lost since. I mean, it's incredible. So those those are those could be two division champions that he transformed um, with the deals that he made. Now he's got you know almost every pick in the first round at this point, but um, we'll see we'll see what he's able to parlay that, that into. Um, they played a little better the other day, by the way. They actually played a pretty good game. They scored some points and they lost, but you know they're a two win team at this point. Before we move on, I want I did want to say um, let's let's play a, a little reaction if we can. Just real quick from uh, Andrew Adams, um, who was still, you know, he talked about – it was interesting after the game. I don't know if you saw the clip. Uh, you know, Dirk Cutter got the team up, and he talked about them winning. And then, and then you know, they, they typically they will give out a, a game ball uh, to, to an outstanding player usually or something like that. And he awarded three <laughs> to the same guy. And that's why, that's why he's now AAA because he had three interceptions. And he got three game balls. And so here's Andrew Adams talking about uh, just what he planned to do with all that. I'm going to get a pain in, I, and I um, just got a spot in Atlanta, so I'll find a nice place to, for those to go in the man cave. Finally, uh, last thing on the Bucks. Uh, I wrote a story for the Tampa Bay Times. You can get it on TampaBay.com about Chris Godwin. And, you know, he, um, he had a touchdown reception in that game. It's in a way it wound up being the difference. It was a big swing for them. If you remember, towards the end of the first half, they were up ten seven. It looked like Carolina was going to score. They get the interception and they go down there and and they a couple plays really that Godwin made were big, but he got the touchdown pass and he was the fourth option on that play. It was when Jameis rolled out to his right and it's kind of a kind of a busted play in a sense, but um, Jameis just fired a laser in there and it was high had to go over the db's head and the safety was bearing down on him and godwin made just a great catch you know for a touchdown he had over 100 over 100 yards in that game in fact he had uh, five catches for 101 it's the second time this year he's gone over 100 receiving yards and it's the third time in his career the, the first time he did it was the last game of last season against the saints when he made that big 39 yard touchdown catch that won the game with nine seconds left and um you know, the game before that last year uh, at Carolina, he had almost 100 yards at 98 yards. And, and both those games, the constant in all of this is that the big games he's had is when Deshaun Jackson was was hurt, when Deshaun Jackson wasn't playing. And so Chris Godwin stepped right into that role and he spits out 100-yard games. And everybody knew that he was a good player. In fact, Dirk Cutter said that he felt like they had four starting receivers. And at times this year, all of those guys – including Adam Humphreys and Mike Evans and Deshaun uh, and Chris, have all had big games. In fact, they've got five receivers now with over 500 yards this season, and four of them have over 600 yards. And they would have five over 600 except for O.J. Howard um, you know, being put on IR. So it's all these guys have had their tar- turn. They've all been very productive. But you know, with Godwin, I mean, you kind of wonder – when you know, because because Winston has such trouble throwing to Deshaun, whether it's a mental thing or he just can't throw the deep ball, whatever, um, you know, Godwin's a bigger body, bigger catching radius, really good, you know, in the end zone, uh, in the red zone, that sort of thing, and it it just seems like to me that things run a lot more smoothly when 
you don't have, and it's no fault of Deshaun's because he's gotten open all year, and, and Fitzpatrick had no trouble getting him the ball, uh, and Todd Munkin had no, no trouble calling plays for him. But for whatever reason, Jameis can't throw to this guy very consistently, and and Deshaun knows it, and and so it's not a it's not a good you know look it, it was a it was a failed experiment in some senses. We'll see what happens this week. We'll see if Deshaun Jackson comes back because he had a sprained thumb. But at the end of the day, um, Godwin should probably never be the fourth option on this team. He should probably be the second option as far as receivers go. And if O.J. Howard is in there, maybe he's the third. Um, and, and I'm not discounting Chris hum- or uh, Adam Humphreys either. But, you know, this guy's a hell of a player. And it, it just seems to me, Steve, like it just things just seem to run differently and smoother when there's not this sort of how do we get Deshaun the ball kind of thing. You know, that yeah, makes well, sense? It, it's obviously been a struggle for Jameis with Deshaun and, and, you know, Fitzpatrick to start the season was great, but even he struggled a little bit later too. I mean, Deshaun's a extremely talented, uniquely skilled receiver, but it, it takes a special play calls in that to get him the ball where he needs to have it to be the most successful. He doesn't yeah. run in necessarily in the normal flow of most offenses. And and it's, right. it's not a knock on it him. Through... It's, it's it's a it's just he is he's a unique receiver in that sense. His skill set and, I and think what it, he does. I think it's hard if he's not the number if you don't how do I say it? I think it's hard and he's probably not at this stage of his career anymore, but it's hard if he, you're not running your offense through him. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. like and, and he's told me this. He's like, you know, when I came here, he goes, Mike was established. Like Mike was their guy. And no matter what happened, they were going to run their passing game. And why wouldn't you run it through Mike Evans? I mean, the guy's had five 1,000-yard seasons. And, you know, hell, if he keeps this up, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. But, um, but you know, it was hard for Deshaun to play off of that. Now, I think they complement each other perfectly. And Deshaun's sitting here right now today with an 18-point-something average per catch, which is insane. And he will go down whenever his career is over. And I think he'll still play another year or two. But – and for whom I, I wouldn't imagine it'd be Tampa, but who knows? He will go down as one of the one of the real uh, big play receivers of all time. I mean his his career average was seventeen seven, and when he got to Tampa, now it went down a little bit last year, but now it's back up. So there are very 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 few, if any, players who average that sort of explosive plays every time they touch the ball. So he'll go down as one of the all time great big play receivers, um, and yet. For whatever reason, it just and it's mostly because Jameis can't get him the ball. It just hasn't worked here. But I I think they're fortunate to have a guy like Godwin because I think he's going to be a really good player. And as he plays more, because you've seen what he's done. Anytime he's been given the opportunity to play because Deshaun has been hurt, this guy's gone out there and really produced at a high level. And the play he made for the touchdown was a really good catch because Jameis had to throw just a bolt in there. But the one that really saved the game – might have been him breaking up the pass, the play before, uh, from Eric Reed, the safety, who had who had the interception in his hands. And Jameis was livid. He thought that Godwin was interfered with and, um, you know, that should have been pass interference and all this. Uh, but the referees didn't see it that way. And fortunately for, for Jameis and for the Bucks, Godwin hustled his butt back in there uh, and somehow, you know, got that ball out. And so that that allowed them then on the next play on second and eleven to score with just you know a few seconds before halftime. And so instead of going in, you know maybe behind without the the interception or or just ahead ten seven, 
And then, of course, you know, Carolina got the ball in the second half. The Bucks had a 17-7 lead, and that's a huge difference uh, when you're playing at home and, mm-hmm. and the way you want to play defense. So uh, the, the play, again, it was essentially a pass defense. I mean, the play Godwin made and just, just hustle, just competing, um, being physical, uh, probably saved the game in many ways, and it's going to go overlooked, but it was, it was a heck of a play. So um, the college football playoff Final Four came out, of course, uh, yesterday, or I guess it would have been on Sunday. And, Steve, I wasn't surprised by any of it. I mean, I, I actually kind of agreed that, that Oklahoma probably deserved that fourth spot. I was pretty sure Notre Dame was going to be getting there as an undefeated team. And then, of course, Alabama and Clemson. What was interesting to me was that they actually ranked Georgia higher than Ohio State. Yeah, I thought, I thought Ohio State should have been ahead of of Georgia. I think Oklahoma probably ahead of Ohio State. Their ba- their loss wasn't nearly they, they lost on a neutral field to Texas and they got to avenge that avenged loss it. in the conference championship mm-hmm. game. Ohio State's mm-hmm. loss was on the road, but it was an awful loss at Purdue who right. barely made a bowl game. Right. Uh, so probably Oklahoma deserved the four spot. I, to be honest, you could probably make a case Ohio State deserved it over Notre Dame. Um mostly because Notre Dame's schedule was as weak as it was. You know, going in the season you didn't anticipate that. But mm-hmm. their schedule ended up turning out a lot weaker than you thought. You know, USC wasn't nearly as good. Navy wasn't as good. Run down the schools. I mean, Syracuse was better than expected, so that helped them. Uh, but I think because they were undefeated, they were going to be in there. And so I think the, the four teams – I mean, I don't think Georgia deserved to get in there. I think you had your shot in the SEC championship game. And a matter of fact, you led most of the game. I, I, I heard a stat, and I, I – uh, it was on uh, all but nine minutes the last two times nine they played. Plays. I think George was... Not nine minutes. Oh, nine, nine, oh, plays. nine plays. Oh, wow. There I was didn't something like was nine plays. 200 and some odd plays in the SC, the last two Alabama Georgia games, and Alabama led for nine plays and won both of them. That's just astounding. I mean, the Jalen Hurts story is great, but the you know, Kirby Smart deciding to fake a punt there in that situation was not very good. It wasn't. Um, I, I can understand a little bit, uh, you know. Alabama's offense at that point was rolling, and you anticipated Hurts was going to score. So you're trying to keep the ball. I, I don't agree with it. I wouldn't have done it, but I can understand some of the mindset. I mean, I, you know, I know what he was trying to think, but you know, as soon as Alabama comes out in a safe defense, how do you keep it on? Well, you have to take it off. If, they're, if they don't put their special teams on the field and they're playing their defense, you mm-hmm. have to take it off. Yeah, that's and, what you know, he you know, said. The actual trying it didn't puzzle me, but once you saw what Alabama came out in, what do you do? Yeah, doing? you got to have a kill. You got to have a kill. Yeah. You, you just do. And he said, well, we didn't stop it right away. I, no, you got to kill that because they were ready for it. And that's why their defense was in the game. You know, the other thing is Nick Saban knows the guy a little bit. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's one of the dangers. Uh, it probably helps Georgia when they play Alabama. And in this case, that probably hurt them because Nick was not, was not having it. So look, I mean, I think Georgia's a really good team. I think the SEC is a really good conference, but I think they got it right. I, I think they got the the four teams they they needed there. Now the Heisman finalists came out on Monday: Kyler Murray, Oklahoma; Tua from Alabama; and Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State. Yeah, you know the conventional wisdom was that Tua is going to win this in, in, in fairly handily, but I got to be honest with you: after watching Murray, I think Murray deserves I, it. I hope people didn't vote too soon, because and and people said this before the game: they go, "What if?" What if Tua struggles and or doesn't mm-hmm. play well, and Tyler Murray goes out there and is great? Well, that's exactly what happened. Um, well, and Tua I, was a I little banged to, up too, so I mean that was part of Tua's he, struggles. He but. definitely was hurt, and and but yet you know he did not have a very good game, and it took Hurts to come off the bench to win it. Of course, when he went out with the injury, 
but Murray was terrific. I mean, Tua, Murray Tua, is terrific. Tua is a phenomenal quarterback, maybe one of the best pro prospects. No question. You know, uh, that we've seen even in years, potentially. No question. Although I think Dwayne Haskins can be right up there, too, with that. Mm. But, but how many drives, and, and this is, you know, some people have brought this point up. How many drives has, has Tua been under pressure and had to convert and had to score and had to, how many pressure right, situations has he really been in this year? Not sure, many. Sure, they're always ahead. That's right. I mean, right. you know, they won every, before the you know the SEC championship game. It was what they won every game by twenty plus points. Yep. You know, and and most games were over by he wasn't even playing in the fourth quarter. Yeah. You know, outside no, the Citadel, his... who was tied ten ten at halftime, which no one is sure. you know that you know they end up blowing him out, but that you know, and it's not to take anything away from two. I mean, you know, you go out there, you perform, and and he's done fantastic. But the job mm-hmm. Kyler Murray did this year, and, and to take that offense to higher levels than. Baker Mayfield had it. I mean, that's a better yeah, offense you, than Baker Mayfield ran last year. When you needed to, because your defense is horrific. I mean, well, and yeah. you just have to you have to keep scoring every time you have the ball, and he was able to do it. Funny thing is, he's never going to play the NFL. I mean, this guy is a five-tool baseball player. He's already yeah, he's already gotten five million dollars from the A's, and he's going and to he's next he's year definitely going to gonna play, mm-hmm. yeah, he's going to play Major League Baseball, not not in the NFL, but he's one heck of an NFL. And quite frankly, uh, I don't blame college him. football player. No, are you kidding me? Any guy in his right mind that had any chance at, at playing Major League Baseball, and to not choose that over the NFL, yeah. guaranteed uh, contracts, the, the health issues, everything else, you absolutely length it, of it, career. Yeah, you're getting a contract yeah. like that from baseball to start. You're taking baseball every day of the week. Absolutely, I would. I don't even think it's close. And good for him that he has that option. Not many guys do. Um, so finally. Uh, your Tampa Bay Lightning are just on a roll. They win 5-1 to one over New Jersey, and uh, I was funny. I was watching with my girls, and they're like, man, they can really score a lot of goals, Daddy. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they can. And it's a good thing, too, although Louis Domingue had a pretty good game, and I didn't realize he's played 11 straight. Steve, do they have a guy that can step in now and then and give this guy a break? Well, anticipate Eddie Pasquale is going to play tonight in Detroit. Okay. So this is the – see, the, the advantage of their schedule – for the last few weeks has been it's been every other day for three every straight other weeks day, yeah. that there yeah. hasn't been so a back-to-back get, I guess so they've been able to do that now they sent Eddie Pasquale down Friday and Saturday last week to play in Syracuse he played two games uh, got a win and an overtime loss just to get him playing again because he had been sitting on the bench up here for mm-hmm. a couple weeks so I anticipate he'll play in Detroit tonight on the second half of the back-to-back so Louis okay. Domingue's streak at 11 straight starts will stop but being every other night, it, it hasn't been. It's not like he's playing back-to-back games, which is where you know goalies sometimes get in some strains and and that and you know the mental part of it too. That quite but, frankly, it's it probably helped him in that you know he mm-hmm. he was a guy that rarely played, and then he probably needed the rhythm of of being on the ice every other day, which was great. You know, and, like he was. And I think you've seen some fatigue out of him. I think you've seen a couple bad goals. I think you know if you look at the game Florida uh, on Saturday night. Um, to start the game, you know, gave up four goals in the first two periods. Um, a yeah. couple of them he might like back. Now, granted, one was a five-on-three, two of them were on two-on-one rushes, but still he would have liked one or two, probably two of those goals back. Um, but then, you know, from that point on, he didn't give up another goal as the Lightning then came back to win that game in overtime, five to four. Look, he gave up some bad goals early, but then he buckles down and, and stops the last 19 or 20 shots of that game and allows you to give mm-hmm. a chance to win. You know, with that offense, you know, even if you give up a couple bad goals, just keep your team in the game. You know, stop it from there. And he's done that. I mean, he's been look, he's not Andre Vasilevsky, but he's been more than adequate in this role and done a fantastic job for the Lightning. And the fact that the Lightning have lost Andre Vasilevsky, and I think he went down three weeks ago. 
mm-hmm. somewhere in that range, two and a half, three weeks ago, he went down, and you're still in first place. You're still leading hockey. Oh, it's remarkable. Not just remarkable. not just your division, but hockey. Mm-hmm. You have 41 points through 28 games. Braden Point with his 20th goal, which is remarkable for him, off to MVP start. Kucherov, Kucherov is heating up. Is really heating up. He had another goal uh, and an assist, and so Stamkos um, had a goal you know, on. On Monday night, so did uh, Tyler Johnson and Yanni Gord. Mm-hmm. That's um, impressive, man. And this is still without Andre Vasilevsky and Anton Strawman on the back end, too. You're still missing him. And Andre Palat, you just got back. So this is very impressive, by the way. I mean, it's, it's, it's business-like. You know, and we talked about this even last week. I mean, there's a, there's a confidence on this team. You know, and it doesn't. And it doesn't matter how many goals. You know, Saturday night they're down four to one in, in Sunrise, and you're like, well, they can come back, and they did. I mean, they just they have that confidence. They know they're a good team, and and they go out and execute most of the time. Yeah, I mean, you're going to give up goals here and there, but they execute more times than they don't. Right now, it's just about munching points and getting to the playoffs. I mean, they're not even they're not even at their peak at this point. No one thinks they've played their best yet, because I don't think Kucherov and Stamkos have been at their best yet. Kucherov's heating up, and so and Stammer's getting better. I don't think Hedman's played his best yet this season. He's been good, but I wouldn't. He's not at the level he was last season. And whether some of the you know the injury, he missed some time with an injury. Maybe he's not one hundred percent yet. You know this team. This team should go a long ways. Come you know April, May, and June. Well, we'll see how the Lightning do as they uh, go to Detroit tonight and continue this road trip. We'll have that. Uh, of course, uh, we'll have a chance to talk to Tom Jones, the columnist of the Tampa Bay Times as well. And then we have Matt Baker this week to uh, get you ready for the college football playoffs and discuss uh, those decisions and um, try to set up some of the bowl games that we have going on, not just nationally, but also locally as well. As always, we love your interaction. You can uh, reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. And remember, uh, if you guys have any air conditioning needs, hey, go see our friends at Millionaire. Howard and Sue Million have been doing this for 30 years in the Tampa Bay area. They are the best. They're offering 0% interest right now for 72 months on all their quality products. Give them a call at 727-862-2100. Trust the masters of comfort. Trust Millionaire. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 